Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, verses 41 and 42. And if you would, won't you stand with me as we read God's word together this morning? Luke 22, 41 and 42. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this, this morning, this opportunity to gather together as your people, as brothers and sisters in Christ, as family. And God, I pray that the words of my mouth, the thoughts uh, that I have today would be your thoughts, Lord, that you would communicate through me your word, that it would, it would change us, and that we would be encouraged in our walk with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Did, did you know that Charles Manson's getting ready to be married? Did you know that? You heard about that? Now, those of you who are probably under, I don't know, under 30, you may have no idea who Charles Manson is. Well, he's been, in, he's been in prison for 43 years. Yet, he's getting ready to marry 26-year-old Star Burton. And Star doesn't believe that Charlie is guilty of his crimes. And so she hopes to clear his name. I have a message for Ms. Burton. Good luck with that. You know, Miss Burton, Star Burton, that's not her original name. She changed her name. She had a kind of a cool first name. Her name was Afton, A-F-T-O-N. Well, a few years ago, she changed it to Star. And you think there might be some selfishness there? You think there might be a little uh, glory seeking there? For whatever reason, I, I don't know why, um, because I understand that Charles Manson is allowed few to almost none visits. So I'm not really sure what her motivation is. But changing her name to Star might, uh, it might say something a little about her, her motives, not really sure. But uh, if there's one thing that I'm learning more and more and more and more and more, that it's not about me. Melvin, it's not about me. Bear, it's not about me. Cody, it's not about me. And I could repeat it a thousand times today that it's not about me. And I could focus in on it. It's not about me. Life is just, it's just not about me. And I, I'd need to wake up tomorrow morning. And I'd need to say it a thousand more times. Because it's not about me. Romans 12 I'm going to jot these down real quick. You can. Romans 12 tells me that my life is not about me. Ephesians 5 tells me that my marriage is not about me. 2 Timothy 4 tells me that my ministry is not about me. And John chapter 1 tells us that Jesus, the Son of God, who was with God the Father at the creation of all things, he and all things were created through him. And according to Hebrews 1.3, he, Jesus, upholds the entire universe by the word of his power. Amen. If the same Jesus 
kneeling in the garden, knowing the agony that awaited him within just a few minutes. He prays with such intensity that it produces sweat drops of blood. And he knows that when, within just a few moments that he would be handed over to be killed. And this was Jesus' prayer. He says, Father, if there's any way this could happen, another way, I'd be all for that. But it's not about me. It's all about you and your glory. So may your will be done. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, we read, Jesus Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. You know, I certainly, I certainly don't claim to know all things spiritually. I know that's a shocker, but I don't. I don't claim to, to know things. I don't, I don't claim to be very smart. I don't believe that, uh, I don't believe the, the Baptists have all the answers. I don't believe the Methodists have all the answers. I don't believe the Pentecostals have all the answers. I don't believe the Lutherans or the Catholics have all the answers. There's so much diversity within the body of Christ. And so much of that diversity makes us unique as a family. It's a pretty good picture of our families in general of how unique and sometimes dysfunctional that we can be. And I, and I don't have a problem with saying, I don't know. When asked a question about something spiritual, there's no need to get puffed up and make excuses or, or just make something up. If I don't know, I don't know. But I have some people in my life that I can go to, a great counsel, that we can discover these things and we can increase our knowledge by going to somebody else as long as we are humble enough to say, I don't know. And the case can be the same with, with authors and teachers today. I don't line up with everybody that claims to be a theologian. But I've learned as well that I, I'm, not gonna, I'm not gonna throw the, the baby out with the bathwater over maybe a small thing that somebody might teach that, I don't, that I'm not in, in agree with in agreement with when so much of what they say is life-changing and lines up, lines up with Scripture. And there's a, an author and a teacher that, that fits into that category for me. His name is John Piper. And he's written numerous books, but this one that I'm going to share with you today is it's a book called Seeing and Savoring Jesus Christ. And there's a chapter in this book that talks about the sufferings of Jesus. It's the incomparable sufferings, the anguish of Jesus Christ. And I tried to go through this and take just a few snippets out of it, but I couldn't do that. And so bear with me as I read a couple of pages from this. It will take just, just a minute to do so. The agonies of God's son were incomparable. No one ever suffered like this man. Through all eternity, we will contemplate the killing of the son of God and sing, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Revelation 5.12. 
No one ever deserved suffering less, yet received so much. The stamp of God on this perfect life is found in two words, without sin, Hebrews 4.15. The only person in history who did not deserve to suffer, suffered most. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth, 1 Peter 2.22. None of Jesus' pain was a penalty for his sin, for he had no sin. Therefore, no one has ever had a greater right to retaliate, but used it less. He had at his disposal infinite power to take revenge at any moment in his agony. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? Matthew 26, 53. But he did not do it. When every judicial sentiment in the universe cried out unjust, Jesus was silent. He gave Pilate no answer, not even to a single charge, Matthew 27, 14. Nor did he refute false ridicule. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, 1 Peter 2, 23. Nor did he defend himself in response to Herod's interrogation. He made no answer, Luke 23, 9. No one has ever borne so much injustice with so little vengeance. This was not because the torment was tolerable. If we had been forced to watch, we probably would have passed out. In the garden, his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground, Luke twenty-two forty-four. In the middle of the night before the high priest, they spit in his face and struck him, and they slapped him, Matthew 26, 67. Before the governor, they scourged him, Matthew 27, 26. In his agony, the soldiers toyed with him. They dressed him in mock robes of royalty. They began to cover his face and to strike him, saying, prophesy. And the guards received him with blows, Mark 14, 65. A crown of thorns was pressed down on his head, made worse by being driven into his skull with blows. They were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him, Mark 15, 19. In this condition, he was unable to carry his own cross, Matthew 27, 32. The torture and shame continued. He was stripped. His hands and feet were nailed to the cross, Acts 2, 23. The mockery was unrelenting through the terrible morning. Hail, King of the Jews, you who, who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross, Matthew 27, 29. Even one of the criminals railed at him, Luke 23, 39. All of this came upon the friend of sinners, not with brothers at his side, but utterly abandoned. Judas had betrayed him with a kiss, Luke 22, 48. Peter had denied him three times, Matthew 26, 75. All the disciples left him and fled, Matthew 26, 56. And in the darkest hour of the history of the world, God the Father struck his own son with our punishment. We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted, Isaiah 53, 4. The only person in the world who truly knew God, Matthew eleven twenty seven, 27, cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Matthew 27, 46. Never before or since has there been such suffering because in all its dreadful severity, it was suffering by design. It was planned by God the Father and embraced by God the Son. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief, Isaiah 53, 10. Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, Acts 2.23. Herod, Pilate, the soldiers, and the Jews did, did to Jesus whatever God's hand and plan had predestined to take place, Acts 4.28. 
Down to the details, the sufferings of the son were written in the scriptures. Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst, John 19, 28. Not only was it suffering by design, but also by obedience. Jesus embraced the pain. He chose it. Obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, Philippians 2, 8. And his obedience was sustained by faith in his father. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly, 1 Peter 2, 23. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, Luke 23, 46. In that faith, he set his face to go to Jerusalem, Luke 9, 51. Why? For it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem, Luke 13, 33. He had set his face to die. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour, John 12, 27. He lived in order to die. Therefore, the suffering and weakness of Jesus were a work of his sovereign power. No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord, John 10, 18. He freely chose to join the Father's design for his own suffering and death. And what was that design? To be a substitute for us so that we might live. The Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for many, Mark 10, 45. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, 1 Peter 2, 24. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all, Isaiah 53, 6. And the goal of it all, greater love, has no man than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends, John 15, 13. Yes, but to what end? What does love pursue? Two great purposes were accomplished in the suffering of Christ, which are really one purpose. First, Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, 1 Peter 3, 18. The suffering of Jesus brought us to God who is fullness of joy and pleasure forevermore. Second, in the very hour of his death, the Father and the Son were glorified. Now is the Son of Man glorified and God is glorified in him, John 13, 31. Our joy in savoring God and his glory in saving us are one. That is the glory of Christ's incomparable sufferings. Jesus had a right to say, it's all about me. He had the right to say, it's all about me. And I choose to bypass this whole death on a cross thing. But he knew that reconciliation with God for you and for me meant following through with God's sovereign plan. So he willingly laid down his life for you and me and endured the hideousness of the cross. And he lived his life as a servant. Does this affect you and me? How does it affect you and me? On every level of our being, this affects you and me. We should wake up every morning. Before our feet hit the ground, we should say, Lord, today is not about me. Everything that I do today, may it be about you, and may I not make anything about me today. I've done that a couple of days this week, and it really does work. It really does work to remind myself that everything that I do today has nothing to do with me. It's all about bringing honor and glory to Jesus. He is the one that has every right 
to make it about him. Yet he himself in his humanity, he said, God is not about me. It's all about you. My marriage, my job, my ministry, my life is not about me. Why? Well, let me give you a few, a few examples. My life is not about me because, I know this is going to be another shocker, I did not speak the universe into existence. John chapter 1 explains to us that Jesus did that. The last time I checked, all creation was not singing my praises. And in Job 38, God asked Job, where were you? when I laid the foundations of the universe. And God has not yet asked me to guarantee that we will have snow on Christmas Eve. My life is not about me because I have a fallen nature. I wish I could tell you that my motives are always pure. They're not. I wish I could tell you that my thoughts are always pure. They're not. I must make much. I must make much of the one who is pure in all his ways and perfect and complete in all his ways. My life is not about me because I waver daily. I waver. Come on, Brian, make a decision. I wish I could tell you that I make my decisions with utmost godly confidence every day. I don't. I wish I could tell you that most of my decisions are accurate. They're not. My wife has a saying, and this is something we laughed about one time. We still laugh about it because it was said in kind of a kind of a spur of the moment matter of fact manner and we were talking about how <laughs> neither one of us are, we're never, neither one of us are very smart when it comes to smart things we're not smart and in saying that it proves that I'm just not smart <laughs> but uh, she said I know I'm not very smart but I'm never wrong And it was just one of those moments, she realized what she said, and we laughed, and we laughed. Uh, But she reminds me of that often. (laughs) But it's very true. It's very true. My life is not about me because I do not hold tomorrow. I don't know what tomorrow holds. I wish I could stand here today and tell you that tomorrow our pastor is going to be completely healed. I'm praying for that. We're trusting, for, we're trusting God for that. We're standing for that. I can't tell you what tomorrow holds. I wish I could stand here and, and tell you that the uncertainty of, of your debt, your bills, I wish I could stand here and tell you that tomorrow they're going to be gone. The pain and grief you might be experiencing, I, I wish I could tell you that tomorrow it would all go away, but I can't because I don't hold tomorrow. But I can tell you that God has a purpose in all all your pain and all your uncertainty. Romans 8, 28 tells us that there's a plan 
for your life. Without the shed blood of Jesus, I have nothing to stand on. It's not about me. If forgiveness by the grace of God had not been extended to me, I would have a pointless existence. Knowing that by the word of his power, all creation holds together, it humbles me to make much of the Son of God and his glory. It's not about me. In his humanity, Jesus prayed, let this cup of death pass from me, but not my will, yours be done, because it's not about me. Maybe in the middle of a a disagreement with my wife, I can say, I'm sorry, it's not about me. Maybe when somebody would like to have their way over mine, I can say, it's okay, it's not about me. Maybe when somebody wants to sing a song that I'd really like to sing, I can say, and I'll go ahead, it's not about me. So my question to you this morning is, what are you holding on to that you should let go of and you yourself humble and say, it's, it's not about me? It's something we're faced with every day, every one of us. I know that my old nature is nailed to the cross. I know that. And I, I live that. I live knowing that my old nature is nailed to the cross. I'm not bound by it. When God looks at me, he doesn't see my old nature. He sees Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. I have a new nature. But I also deal with the old man because he wants to come back up in my life. He wants to remind me of things in my life that I don't want to be reminded of. What are you holding on to that you should let go of and say it's not about me? Wednesday night, Pastor Mark asked us a question. When was the last time God opened a door for you to share your faith, to witness to somebody, and you hesitated? Almost all the time. And why do we do that? Why do we hesitate? Because we make it about us. If we, if we go into a, an opportunity to witness to somebody thinking that we are nothing, completely trusting in God, then it's a no-brainer. It's a slam dunk. But we are concerned about what people are going to say. We are concerned about their reaction. We are concerned about what they will think of us. We make it about us. I want to make a statement. Salvation is not about you and me. Salvation is not about you and me. What? Salvation is about submitting to God and surrendering our lives to him in obedience. That's what Jesus did in the garden. He submitted to the will of the Father and he was obedient to the point of death and death on the cross. So we, So we have to be careful that we don't even make salvation about ourselves if we come to God thinking that he somehow owed us or owes us 
something, we, we start with wrong priorities right from the get-go. Jesus didn't die because he owed me anything. He died out of obedience to the Father's divine plan to reconcile or make right our relationship with him. And what is required of us to do so is to repent, to turn around from the life we were going to, to walk the other way, to change our mind and be obedient and surrender to the perfect will of the Father. That's our responsibility. And it took a perfect, sinless sacrifice for that to happen. It had to be Jesus. Because it certainly couldn't be me. It can't be about me. Let's pray. Dear God, may it be with humility that we come before you, acknowledging you as creator of all, Jesus, the son who was there and through, through him, the world was created. Through Jesus, everything is held together. Oh God, may we see that our lives are nothing apart from you. That our lives here on earth apart from you are, are pointless. Our lives apart from you in eternity is true hell. Holy Spirit, we welcome you to, to move in this place. That Lord, we would be submissive to you. That we would acknowledge your holiness. That we would acknowledge that you are Lord. So thankful, dear God, that you have made salvation available to all who would call upon your name. Have your way in this place today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
It is our prayer that you have been blessed as you've listened to this message. If you would like to become a partner with this ministry, please contact us here at Orchardville Church. You can visit our website at orchardvillechurch.com 
or you can contact us by phone at area code 618-835-2677.